I have a great dentist, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) My dentist loves Jesus, and he loves teeth. I think in that order, but I'm not always sure. Uh, He... uh, he, he loves teeth so much that, that, that our appointments are often extended so that he can explain exactly what's going on with my teeth or what may happen with my teeth. Uh, more information than I ever wanted about my teeth. I should have the most vested interest in my teeth, but I feel sometimes he feels like he does. Uh, and I feel like he's disappointed at times with me and my teeth. Um, but one thing that is for sure, and I've mentioned this maybe in the past, I think this analogy is helpful, um, that he will for sure, when I meet with him this week, because I have an appointment this week with him, he will for sure tell me that I need to floss more. Um, it doesn't matter how much I'm flossing. That's not the point. I will just be told I need to floss more. Anyone have those dentist appointments? Yes, some of you are dentists or hygienists, and you're like, yeah, you should floss more. Uh, here's the problem with flossing, I think, sometimes. The problem is I often don't see an immediate benefit from it, right? I don't get an immediate benefit from it. And I think that's the reason why I don't do it enough. There's not an immediate return on it. I'll tell you the two times I will absolutely floss. One is when someone tells me I've got something stuck in my teeth and I can't get it out. I will floss like there's no tomorrow if there's something there and I'm trying to get it out. Or two, if I have pain because something's stuck in my tooth. I'm going to floss to get it out, right? But barring social, you know, awkwardness or physical pain, I might get around to it or I might skip it. And I wonder sometimes this morning, well, you wonder why I'm talking about flossing in the dentist, because I wonder sometimes if our scripture reading is not like that in some ways, And I've used this analogy before in the past, but this morning I want to apply it specifically to this idea of a return on benefits. That I wonder if like flossing, or probably other habits in our life too, that at times we don't skip scripture reading because we don't feel like there is an immediate benefit to it. That those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ would say, yes, this is the Bible. Yes, this is God's word. And yes, I should probably read it. But I may not be reading it as much as I'd like, as much as I should, or perhaps even at all outside of Sundays. And I... And I, and I I'm curious if that is the case, that one of the reasons we don't do that is because we don't perceive to get an immediate benefit from it. That so our morning gets busy, and even though we've planned to spend time in the Bible and read some time in God's Word, today got busy, and so we skip it. And then maybe tomorrow's a similar day, and we realize a week's gone by, two weeks or it's already January 15th, and even though we committed two weeks ago to reading through the Bible, we've already skipped so many that maybe we'll try again in 2024. That sometimes this is the case with us, or maybe your time is at night, and it's been a long day, and you're tired, and I'll get to it tomorrow. And perhaps the reason that it's so easy to skip it at times is because we don't perceive an immediate benefit to it. 
Contrast that to a verse in Psalm 119 where the psalmist says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I mean, that's a little different perspective of the Bible and God's word than sometimes maybe we have of it. The idea that sweeter than honey to my mouth or whatever your favorite food is, like whatever the sweetest, most decadent thing that you might eat is, the psalmist is saying God's word is even sweeter than that to my mouth. But I wonder if for many of us about that gap between what it feels like flossing and what it feels like to eat the thing that is most enjoyable to us, how do you close that gap? How do you get from the place of, wow, this feels arduous and like work and I end up skipping it a lot more than I know I should to the place where I might say, wow, I cannot, I can't wait to get in to God's word. It's sweeter than honey to my mouth. I think one reason, one way to do that might be to understand some of the benefits that we get from God's word and reading God's word. So I want to take a few moments this morning to share with you four benefits of the regular reading of God's word to us. And I'm going to do that fairly quickly, but I'm going to do it by sharing a passage out of Psalm 119. So as Pastor Marvin said, maybe you've already turned there, but if you haven't, turn to Psalm 119 with me in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair rack of your chair or a chair very close to you. And if you use a chair rack Bible, you'll be on about page 514 because we're going to be Psalm 119, verse 89 is where I'm going to pick up on. I am not going to read the whole of Psalm 119 this morning because you may not know this, but Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It is 176 verses. We're not going to read the entire thing this morning, but we're going to read part of it. Here's why it's so long. Because the psalmist wanted to write a a poem, a song that captured his feeling about how he felt the word of God, how important it was and how all comprehensive it was. And so this is what he did. He took the Hebrew alphabet and each stanza starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet and he goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet until he has... Each, every stanza starting with every letter, as if to say the word of God covers everything from start to finish. It would be if you started with A and ended with Z and and started and wrote a section about every letter. So if you look at at least the English standard version that I'm reading out of, but probably the version of the Bible you may have if you have a different one, you'll see each section has either a letter or the name of a Hebrew letter. So verse 89, just above it, it says Lamed, and that is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and then Mem, is also a letter. And so these two sections, I'm reading the Lamed section and the Mem section. So the first word in that section, if you were to look in a Hebrew Bible, would start with that letter. And then the uh, writer continues to extol upon what the word of God means. So I'm going to read 89 through 104, the Lamed and the Mem section. And um, as I do, look at the many different words for the word. There's word, there's law, there's commandments, there's precepts uh, as he talks about what the word of God means. Um, Here's what it says, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word 
is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, and as we, Lord, endeavor to talk about your word from your word, I ask that you would lead us, Lord. God, that you would speak to us first. God, we come to the Lord of the word. We come to you who have revealed yourself to us through these words and through the pages of scripture and through the accounts of what has happened and your interaction with your people throughout time. God, we come looking for you to lead us and to speak to us. Lord, we come also recognizing that often we have gone looking everywhere else for understanding, everywhere else for insight, everywhere but your word at times, Lord. Lord, we come confessing that though we say this is your word and it's valuable, we have often relegated it to small spaces in our lives and our minds and our thoughts, not compensatory to the place it deserves in our life. We recognize, Lord, we confess that we have often sought your will, but not spent time in your word. And so, Lord, we come. We come knowing that we have neglected at times the gift you've given to us, and yet we come asking that you'd speak to us, asking that you'd, Lord, renew within us who follow you an understanding of the gift that your word is to us, Lord. That you'd also give us hearts and ears to understand, to hear what you might want us to say to us today. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Four reasons, four benefits of the word of God from Psalm 119 verses 89 to 104. The first one is this, God's word gives you hope. 
Verse 92 of 119 says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. What the psalmist is saying essentially is that my life, the things I've encountered would have overwhelmed me had I not had your word in my life. That my afflictions would have overwhelmed me. I would have perished, even died in my discouragement, in my despair, except I have your word. Our lives can become overwhelming, whether it's tragedy or transitions we didn't expect in our lives. They can be overwhelming and hope is what we need in those moments. And reading the scriptures actually grow our hope. The psalmist says it in verse 92, but also uh, I read a study recently that also recognizes this truth. There's a study done by the American Bible Society, uh, and it has been done every year for the last um, 10 or so uh, years. And the American Bible Society, with the assistance in this case from Harvard University's Human Flourishing Program, found that a strong correlation between scripture reading and hope. That frequent Bible readers rated themselves more hopeful than irregular scripture readers did in two surveys of more than 1,000 people done six months apart. In fact, on a scale of one to 100, Americans who reported reading the Bible three or four times per year scored themselves 42 on the hopeful scale. People who read monthly scored 59, weekly 66, multiple times per week scored themselves 75 on their hopefulness. So Tyler Vanderweel of the Harvard Institute for Human Flourishing, as he was doing this research, said that Bible reading, along with other forms of community and discipleship, such as going to church or participation in a small group, appear to contribute to people's sense of well-being and happiness. That the more you read scripture, the more you find hope building up in your life. And I guess that shouldn't be surprising to us, but maybe it is a little bit, that the more you will spend time in God's word, the more you will discover the hope that God has for you. I, I, I think oftentimes I've thought that, you know, we will encounter at times fear in our lives. And oftentimes I think I have thought that faith is the opposite of fear or faith is the antidote to fear. And, and perhaps it is in, in a way, but I actually am coming to believe more and more that hope is the antidote to fear. That our fears can be overwhelming to us and our faith can be helpful, but our faith can feel like we are having to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps at times and have more faith to counter our growing fear. But hope is something that does not change. It's not something we manufacture. It's something given to us by God. And if I spend time in the scriptures, the more and more time I spend there, the more and more time I see the hope that God has given me, hope that cannot be changed or or taken away from me by the circumstances around me in this world. And if I can hang on to that hope, that it actually will be something that will sustain me through difficult times. And I believe that one of the reasons, one of the benefits that you and I should stay in God's word is because it gives you hope. And the truth is that that hope leaks out when we don't spend time in God's word. That that hope is easily forgotten 
or easily neglected when we don't spend time in God's word. And so first benefit is it gives us hope. Second benefit is this, God's word gives you life. God's word gives you life. Or another translation says, God's word revives you. It, and, and when I say life, I think, and when the scriptures say life, I think there's two aspects. One, it gives you ultimate life in that it leads you from death to life. It leads you from a place of being dead in our transgressions and sin to a place of being alive in Christ. We can't do that apart from the word of God. That I would not know how to do that. I would not know God's plan for me apart from him revealing it to me and sharing it with me and perhaps someone sharing it with you. That I only have life because of God's word. But also I have a reviving. I have an energy that's given to me. I have a life that's given to me that also comes from spending time in God's word. I want to share with you a testimony of someone I don't know, but uh, I read about that I think is a powerful testimony of how the word of God can lead to life. How reading and experiencing and understanding the Bible can actually lead someone to life in Christ. Her name is Rosalind Picard. Rosalind Picard is a professor at MIT. And this story, this testimony of hers ran in the uh, March 2019 issue of Christianity Today. Dr. Picard is a faculty member at MIT Center for Neurobiological Engineering and the author of Affective Computing, which pioneered a new field of computing bearing the same name. She also co-founded two companies, one, Affectiva, which provides emotion uh, AI technologies now used by more than 25% of Fortune 500 companies, and Empatica, which creates sensors and analytics to improve health, including the first AI-based smartwatch cleared by the U.S. authorities for monitoring seizures. So Rosalind Picard is really smart. <laughs> That's her MIT uh, biography that you can find online. Here's what you won't find in her uh, official MIT bio. Her words... I grew up in a family that never went to church or talked about religion. I thought people who were religious had thrown their brains out the window. I used to babysit for this really cool family. He was a doctor and she was really neat. And while they went to, while they went to Bible studies, I would babysit their kids. They invited me to church and I told them I was sick. Then they invited me again and I told them I was sick. Faking sickness to a doctor really wasn't working. <laughs> they caught on that I didn't want to go and told me that what I believe matters. They asked if I'd read the Bible. I was a straight-A student, one of those obnoxious kids who thought myself really smart. So I thought I should probably read the best-selling book of all time. I agreed to take their advice to read the book of Proverbs one a day for a month. I saw there was all this wisdom, not wacky, made-up gobbledygook, but stuff I could learn from. I was humbled. Then I set out to read the whole Bible, and that changed me. She read through the entire Bible twice, <laughs> And then she said, 
I felt this strange sense of being spoken to. Part of me was incredibly eager to spend time with the God of the Bible. But an irritated voice inside me insisted I would be happy again once I moved on. It took time because I did not want to believe in God. And I resisted. But as I read the Bible, I felt God talking to me. I eventually went to church, and the pastor challenged us to consider inviting Jesus to be Lord of our life. That sounded a little wacky to me. But I decided to run a scientific experiment. If it's really stupid, it won't make any difference. It doesn't really matter. And if it makes a difference, wouldn't it be better to have the mind of the whole universe who knows everything as Lord of my life. So I took that step and it made an enormous difference. This load was lifted. I felt amazing peace. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today, I walk with joy alongside the most amazing companion anyone could ask for, filled with desire to keep learning and exploring. And here's an example, what a great example of how the word of God, the word of God itself, just reading it leads to life. And for each and every one of us, that this was the pathway, that, that we cannot know God apart from his word being revealed to us. And so I read God's word because it leads to life. I read God's word because it gives me hope. Number three, I read God's word because it gives understanding. God's word gives you understanding. Verses 97 to 100. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. The psalmist is saying that when I spend time in your word, I grow in my understanding of your world. It's not much different than what Dr. Picard was saying in the idea that, that why wouldn't I want the understanding of the one who created it all? Why wouldn't I want to be in relationship with the one who thought up everything I'm trying to think about, who put everything in place, who put the laws of this world in place, that you will grow in your understanding through your time in God's word, that you and I will grow in that. As I thought about this, one of the most amazing examples to me is people who I meet who don't have a lot of formal education, but who through their time in God's word, who their time with living and walking with God have grown in amazing wisdom and understanding. I couldn't help but think about our brother who recently passed to be with the Lord, Edgar Bartlett, who touched many people in this room in their lives who prayed certainly for us, but who at Saturday morning prayer meetings at 6 a.m. right here where we form a circle of chairs on Saturday morning and pray together, and we still do that every Saturday morning at 6 a.m., and every man in this church is invited to be a part of it. 
And I would sit there, and at times I'd listen to Edgar, and I'd see this man who has, uh, I don't think, much beyond a, a middle school education. And yet in his 90s, I would see him give counsel to people who are there asking for direction and prayer who have many letters after or before their name from degrees that they've received. And yet this man, with very little formal education, but an extreme amount of understanding and wisdom and knowledge from God's word, speaking life and counsel in those situations. Why would that happen? How does that happen? It happens because time in your word gives me understanding. Time in your word gives me wisdom that I can grow in my understanding of the world. The word says here, I have more understanding than my teachers. It can't be that I have more education. I wouldn't, they wouldn't be my teacher if I had more education than them, but more understanding, more wisdom. That you and I, as we spend time in God's word, we gain understanding and wisdom. And so for that reason, we spend time in God's word. It's a benefit to us. But finally, fourth and finally, God's word gives you a distaste for evil and false ways. 119, 101 to 104 says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. When you spend time in God's word, it gives you a taste for the things of God and a distaste for those things that are evil and those false ways that are not of God. I wonder if sometimes the reason we fail to spend time reading God's word or spend time in God's word is because we recognize the truth that we read it and we don't always remember it. I, maybe you're like me, that sometimes, you know, I sit in the morning and for me, my Bible reading time is pretty early in the morning. I've just woken up, I've got my cup of coffee, but I still don't always remember everything I'm reading at that time in the morning. And maybe you're like me, that you've, you've done this, you've come to the Bible, you've read some, and then you realize maybe a, a few minutes later, maybe an hour later, you're thinking about it, and you're going, what did I read? I can't even remember what I read. And then you think, well, is there any point in spending this time reading if I can't remember it? When we think that way, I think we're operating under this assumption that our brain is supposed to be somewhat like the hard drive of a computer, that if I input data, it's supposed to retain it so then I can recall it at some future time in perfect form in just the way that I put it in. And if I can't recall it, and if I can't retain it, then what's the point of reading it? But I'm not sure this is the point of us spending time in reading God's word. Not that you shouldn't retain, and there is value certainly in retaining and memorizing and all of that, but I think there is a value also gained from our time in it in that one thing it does is it changes our tastes. It affects our taste. As you read, you may not retain and recall everything, but it is affecting your tastes, your desires. 
when I was a kid, I used to, we used to at times spend the night over my grandparents' house, and that was great. I always enjoyed it because we got to stay up late watching the Red Sox game and eat ice cream, and those two things were great. The wild card was I never knew what my grandmother was going to cook for dinner, and I never knew if I was going to like it. One of the things my grandfather loved to eat was spinach. I don't know if you like spinach, but I don't know how many kids like spinach. Maybe some do, but I didn't. I mean, I, I looked at it. I didn't like the way it looked. I didn't like the way it smelled. I didn't like anything about it. I'm like, I don't want any part of spinach. And, and they didn't really make me eat it. But here's the thing. If we were to go out to lunch this afternoon, there's a good chance that if it's on the menu and it's a side, that I might order some spinach. Uh, that uh, I'd put it on my salad too, that somehow over time, my taste changed. That over time, that which I thought uh, was not something I would like is now something I enjoy. I think our time in God's word does a similar thing for us. That at times it may feel like flossing your teeth. That it may feel like the work and the practice and the discipline, but as you, and you may feel like I'm not retaining it, I'm not remembering it, I'm not recalling it, but here's what it's doing. Over time, it's changing your tastes. Your tastes are being affected. And And you get to the place where you start to desire the things of God in a greater way, and suddenly the things that are not of God, you realize you have a distaste for those things that your time in Scripture affects and impacts that. Another way to look at it is this. Have you ever driven someplace that you go all the time and you get there one day and you don't remember a thing about actually driving there? Like we, we've, uh, so many of us have done that, right? Like you drive to work and you've driven there every day and you get, did I just drive here? I don't remember anything. Did I stop at that light? Did I stop at that sign? You don't remember a thing about actually driving there, but somehow you arrived, right? I think there's something about God's word that serves in that way too. That that, that there are times where you'll arrive at the right destination, but you don't quite know how you got there. But you have been spending time in God's word and it's been changing the way you taste. It's been changing your your desires. And as it does, it changes the way you make decisions. It changes the things you go after. And all of a sudden you're like, how did I get here? But you get God's word into you and it starts to affect the way that you live, the way that you act, your decisions. And, And though you may think you don't see an immediate benefit, I believe God is at work in you. He is, he is focusing your filter as you spend time in God's word. Because when I don't spend regular time in God's word, I will tell you that God's voice starts to sound a lot like my voice, that God starts to say things that I would say. And I think it's the case in your life too. That if you don't spend time in the objective, uh, communicated word of God, that God's voice is going to sound a lot like your voice. That God's going to say to you, nothing uncomfortable, just only things you want to hear. Because it's when I come into this word and I read something that is difficult and challenging that I realize, oh, that's not my voice. Because I don't want to hear that. I wouldn't say that. I may not want to choose that. But that's what the Lord is saying to me. 
And when I spend time in God's word, I start to learn what God is saying. And how does this relate to God's will in our series? Uh, Because I believe as you spend time in God's word, certainly it's the voice of God. That's the easy one of our four kind of Venn diagram circles that we've been talking about. But I also think the one that it affects, when you spend time in God's word, it'll start to refine your burden that you feel for God. It'll start to shape the burden of your life. Suddenly the things that God cares about, you begin to care about more. The way that God sees the world, the people that God has compassion on, the things that God sees as important become things that you see as important because your lens is being focused by that word of God to you. And that my burden of what I think I might want to give my time to, that what I think is valuable, that I want to give my life to, is shaped by God's word to me. The psalmist says, I love the law of God. That sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? I mean, not many of us love laws. I mean, we love laws when they apply to someone else. Like you love laws when someone goes speeding by you and then you find out down the highway they just got pulled over, right? You love the law then. But most of the time, most of us would say, I don't love the law. That's weird, right? At best, it's a, it's, a, it's a necessity, but to love the law. Why would the psalmist say, I love the law of God? I think partly because of the things we've talked about this morning. I love the law of God because it gives me hope. Because it's where I find life. Because it's where I gain understanding. Because it keeps my way and my desires pure and on track. Because I love the law because it leads me to God. See, when we think of laws, we often only think about restraint. But the law is really there to lead us into a way of living. It's to lead us to life. And so he says, I love the law of God because it leads me into the way I ought to be living. So what does this look like? As the worship team makes their way back, let me just talk a little practically what this might look like in your life. What does it look like and how might you come into your Bible reading in 2023? Because when you experience what God's word does for you, it will give you a taste to get God's word in you. So in 2023, how do you get God's word in in you? How does that practically happen? Because the truth is this, I'll bet there's someone in here who on January 1st, 2023, you said, I'm going to read the Bible through this year and I'm going to get myself a plan. I've downloaded it. You've signed on to the app or maybe you've printed one out and it's January 15th and you've already missed a couple days and you said, maybe next year. I know that because that's happened to me before and it's probably happened to you before too. I think, you know, for a lot of times when it comes to reading the Bible and getting into God's word, a lot of times maybe the thought is, well, I'm going to read the entire Bible through in the next 12 months. And that's a good goal. That's fine. That's great if you want to do that. And that's helpful to you to, um, you know, to, to keep you on track and to get through the Bible. That's fine. I think it's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it's also not something you have to do. There's, there's, no, there's no scripture that says, thou must read the entire Bible. It's not there. It's pretty arbitrary, actually. 
it's okay if you, want to, if you want to get through the Bible and you've never read it through all the way and trying to, you know, do it in 12 months is helpful to you. But there's other ways to do it too. Um, and there's other things. My advice to you would be to set something that is workable for you. And my advice would be, and this I apply in my life too, uh, spend more time in smaller sections. Don't feel like you have to, I have to, all right, I, I, I got 66 books, I got this many chapters, I'm going to divide by, you know, 365, and here's what I'm going to do every day. Smaller sections, longer time. There's 260 chapters in the New Testament. That might be a good place to start. You can cover the entire New Testament one chapter a day in a year. You do two chapters a day, which takes you about five minutes. And you can do it through almost three times in a year. And that would probably be two or three times more than you would have read the New Testament if you set out with too big of a goal, right? But I also would encourage you is even smaller chunks. Maybe, this is what I've done in the, in the past four, maybe you're gonna spend an entire month on just one book of the Bible. Maybe it's two months, right? So you take a book like Ephesians, a letter to the Church of Ephesus, it has six chapters. You do two chapters a day, every three days, you've covered the book of Ephesians. That means you could cover it 10 times in a month, which is probably 10 times more than you would have read the book of Ephesians had you not done that. But I wonder if when you're reading it through that sixth and seventh time, if maybe God doesn't show you something new because you become familiar with it. You're not reading it just to understand where it's, you know where it's going. So you become familiar with it and God might speak to you. I find this happens with me. That God will speak to me and show me things that I might not have seen that first time through. I've taken the Sermon on the Mount. For me, that's one of the staples of my Bible reading, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' longest single sermon that we have. And at times I've spent a month or two months or six months just on that section of Scripture trying to understand what is Jesus saying and what is he saying to me? Maybe you do something like that. But to spend time in God's word, maybe you take a section of the gospels and a section from another book of the Bible. I used to hand out uh, scripture reading plans when I do this message every year. I started doing this 15, 16 years ago, doing a message on scripture in January every year, and I'd hand out a paper reading plan. But the truth is you have more access to any number of plans than I could ever share with you. So the two apps I'd recommend are the Bible app and the Bible project app. Uh, both of those I think are some of the better ones out there for reading plans. And the Bible, Pro I love the Bible project app because you can choose a reading plan and then it'll pair it with helpful videos and teachings like short two, three, five minute teachings on what's going on in that chapter, what's going on in that section to really help you gain an understanding of that. And so I really, I really like the Bible Project app and they're constantly loading up helpful videos in that. I'd also encourage you to not read alone. Um, not literally, you're probably gonna do a lot of your Bible reading alone, but maybe you'll agree with someone else that we're going to read this chapter through together or and then we're going to come and talk about it or we're going to do the same reading plan we're going to sign up for the same app I'm going to invite you because you can do that on the Bible app invite your friends invite someone else and then it, it tracks it and you share your progress and then you talk about what's God saying to you we do this in our staff and our in our preaching team all the time we do it every week when we meet 
we read a passage of scripture, one that we're preaching on maybe in a few weeks, we say, what do we believe God is saying here? What's God speaking to you through this? How has this, this scripture spoken to you over the years? So don't read alone. I believe the scriptures are meant to be read in community, are meant to be read with other people. I think we sometimes talk about your personal relationship with Jesus and we forget that it's about a community who is following Jesus together. That it's not just about me and God. It's about us and God, our Father who art in heaven, right? That we, we live this life and walk this life together. So I encourage you, what is it in 2023? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be in God's word. The challenge with preaching a message like this is this. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ and those who are not followers of Jesus Christ all expect me to stand up here and talk about that you should read the Bible, just like you expect your dentist to stand up here and tell you to floss. And then most people are gonna leave this room and not change a thing, just like when you leave the dentist office. So my challenge is for those of you that are Christians, how are you going to get into the word daily going forward in 2023. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would, I would give you this challenge. Just know what you're saying no to. Just like Rosalind Picard said, you know what, I ought to, she essentially was saying, I ought to know what I'm saying no to. I ought to at least explore this God that I say I don't believe in. Read the Bible. I would encourage you, if you are sitting in here for some reason, you've been invited or you came or you're curious, but you say, I'm not really a follower of Jesus, I challenge you to read the Bible with an open heart and open mind and see if the Lord will speak to you the way he did to Rosalind. Let's pray. Lord, God, we prayed at the beginning of this message. I prayed at the beginning of this message, confessing, God, how often we neglect your word. I want to close this message thanking you for your word and asking you, Lord, for those of us in this room that in our heart know that we need to make a greater commitment, Lord, to your word and to understanding it and knowing it and having it in our lives, that you would, Lord, lead us in that practice. God, that you would help us to value and understand and love your word. God, that you would change our tastes. God, so that we can, along with the psalmist, say, I love the word of God, that it is sweeter than honey on my lips to be in your word. God, I pray that it would, as we get in it as a church, Lord, that it would be life, that it would bring hope, grant understanding, and that it would keep us on that narrow road of following you, keep our way pure. Lord, we trust you to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and we'll close out our service and worship with this song.